Contrast that with someone taking your dog away and coming back with your dog and saying, you owe us $500 versus being involved and seeing, you know, the test samples as they're collected and maybe even as they're run, you're going to understand the value of that better. At least I think that's a big part of it. New veterinary practice groups are starting up. What are they doing and what can you learn from them? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders community online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today we talk to higher-ups from Modern Animal. It's the DeNovo Practice Group with a few first locations in the Los Angeles area, the Bay Area, and coming soon to Austin, Texas. The practices charge yearly membership, talk to clients in a smartphone app, and aim for full integration between locations thanks to software they built themselves from the ground up. Here, I ask founder and CEO Stephen Eidelman and VP of Medicine Dr. Christy Long about the visual impression I got from Modern Animals Pasadena, California location. But Eidelman says, sure, the visuals are important, but it's how those visuals match their bigger goals. My first encounter with Modern Animal was, I think, walking in uh, downtown Pasadena and seeing the marketing look of the Modern Animal location completely different than anything I'd seen before. So I don't know, maybe we could start. You may not want to talk about your marketing, but maybe we could talk about your external facing and in-store marketing, how you talk to pet owners who come in the door from the get-go. Yeah, we actually, it's funny, we don't think that much about marketing. I think we just think about building what? a really great experience. <laughs> yeah, and as a practice that's building from scratch, you know, we think a lot about how we show up in the world, but we don't actively try to sell ourselves. You know, I think that, you know, we're fortunate, all of us in the veterinary industry to be in high demand. I think almost too much so. Unfortunately, there is on the flip side, just not enough veterinarians out there to service everybody. But for us, from the beginning, the visual sort of aspect of Modern Animal was always to build a practice that was extremely transparent, both in terms of how we communicate, um, as well as how we show up and, and sort of how you experience the physical practice. And so the first thing I think we always talk about when you walk up to a Modern Animal is there's a lot of glass. You can see all the way through from the street all the way to the back. Yep. And we hope to extend that same sort of transparent experience in all forms of communication. We, you know, a big part of our experience is the digital experience that we wrap sort of around the clinic experience. And so being really transparent around how we communicate around the medicine itself, our pricing, our estimates, the rationale and the reasoning behind our care, how we compensate our doctors, all of that sort of flows from that same idea of being transparent. So when you talk about transparency, I do notice, obviously, the front-facing windows, again, just the one location. And then I believe, if I remember correctly, being able to see into exam rooms from outside or my... Okay, so that's not crazy. Does the transparency go all the way back, like some other practices have experimented with, where you want people in the treatment area, in the back, looking in on all procedures? How far does the transparency go? It goes as far as you said. I mean, we have been advocates that ever since we opened of an open hospital concept, right, and open can be interpreted in the physical sense where we, you talk about the glass, but there's nothing about the way you build a hospital that precludes you from having an open concept. It's about how you think about how you want the clients to be involved in the care of their pet and, and how you want them to see your team in action. For us, it, it was important to spotlight and just shine a light on the capabilities that our team had 
So one that goes towards engagement for them and their jobs, especially veterinary nurses, veterinary assistants who haven't had necessarily a really engaging career path, I think, traditionally in this industry. So really spotlighting their skills, working hard to create a model where they are doing, they are practicing, we say at the top of their license, right? They can do the things that they are uniquely trained to do so that doctors can then be doctors, right? So that's one big reason for it. The other one is, I believe, this is a personal belief of mine, I think people see more value in the care and the price tag that comes with it when they live and breathe it, right? And they see what our team is doing for their pets. So contrast that with someone taking your dog away and coming back with your dog and saying, you owe us $500 versus being involved and seeing you know, the test samples as they're collected and maybe even as they're run, you're going to understand the value of that better. At least I think that's a big part of it. So what do you do? And it may just be everybody isn't meant for exactly this kind of practice. What do you do about either team members and doctors who don't like sort of being watched? And then pet owners, if you want to kind of explain and show everything and say, hey, come see. And they're like, I don't want to see anything. Well, how do you balance that? I mean, I guess I'll talk about the latter first, because I think that's probably way more common for us to encounter. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with VEG, which is an emergency hospital. Yes group, they have no exam rooms, right? Everything happens on the treatment room floor. Everyone immediately comes in. Our model's different from that. We still have exam rooms where we do consultations and have, you know, most of the majority of the interaction is in the exam room. But if the patient needs to come to the treatment area, the owner is invited to come. And at that point in time, we're going to tell them what they're going to see, right? And we're going to tell them what's going to go on and that they may see other things that don't involve their pet and make sure that they're okay with that. Definitely had plenty of clients in my time who were terrified of needles. Sure. So they would be hands off on that. I think the former example that you brought up has actually been really way less common for us. I've had a couple of uh, new grads that I've talked to about working for Modern Animal who are apprehensive about that. And of course, for them, it's a confidence thing, I think. Like, will I be put on the spot in front of the client watching me do what I do? And honestly, when we talk through that and we talk about the mentorship, we give new doctors and and make sure that they feel successful. I really haven't had anyone who has trepidation about it. And in fact, I would say, I mean, feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong. Most of our team absolutely loves having clients be part of the experience. Yeah, it definitely changes the experience, I think, of both receiving care as a pet owner or being part of the care journey as well as delivering care. And I think some of the hesitation is a lot of times based on the past experience where maybe it wasn't a positive experience, you know, being in the back of a traditional veterinary practice can be a lot more intimidating than being in the back of a modern animal. Having clients in the back from a practitioner point of view could be a lot more intimidating in a traditional veterinary practice. And so I think a lot of what we're doing is really trying to redesign this entire experience from scratch with ultimately the medicine at the forefront of sort of what is the intent of all of this. It's not marketing. It's definitely not, you know, just experience. It really is a wholesale revision of the model to serve ultimately what everybody there is, is trying to access and do, which is you know high quality medicine. And so we're trying to just eliminate a lot of the things that get in the way. And I think in some ways the trepidation that people have of being in the back of a veterinary clinic is due to all the things that are sort of in the way, whether it be ringing phones and sort of uh, barking dogs, even like bad smells, clutter. Um, clutter. It's a stressful environment to practice medicine. It's a stressful environment to be they are dealing with what is already a stressful situation. So there's a lot of intention around how we've thought through all this, all with the, again, intent of being very focused on the human experience of being in this practice. 
I think in a lot of hospitals, there's that dividing line between, and it's called the front and the back. And the back is this place where we don't have to put our best face forward or our best foot forward. And so we tend to let things pile up and things aren't necessarily the upkeep in, in the back is not equal to the upkeep in the front, right? And, you know, what we haven't traditionally recognized in veterinary medicine is that's not good for the team either. You know, if you're embarrassed to bring a client into the back because it doesn't meet the standard of what the front of the hospital looks like, then your team probably is not comfortable back there either for, I think, some of the reasons that Steve outlined. So let me ask if we're thinking about this idea that it's a complete revision, really focusing on the human experience inside the practice, and it's from the front to the back and it's from on the digital experience to the phones, to whenever they show up in the physical plant there. And since you mentioned kind of the noise and stuff that happens in the treatment area, so what is done in the treatment area to mitigate two issues? One is whatever clutter and messiness that sometimes accumulates. And I think people don't think of themselves as messy. They're just, we are too busy to keep this place. If I need to prioritize between rushing out to a patient and a client or making sure the stuff is put away. Well, I'm just not going to make sure the stuff is put away. And then at the end of a busy day, I'm going to leave it. So there's the messiness of the treatment area, but then also whatever unsightliness or noise makes it a kind of stressful environment for people. So maybe you could just tell me a little bit at Modern Animal, when you thought of this, any location, what is happening in the treatment area that is different than sort of an average or veterinary practices you've been in before? I think that a lot of the, you know, everything from clutter to noise to just overall organization in any environment, whether it's your bedroom and making your bed and keeping your, you know, your house clean to being in the veterinary practice, like there's always a reason that it can be messy or loud or cluttered or disorganized. And I think that our goal, you know, we have the benefit of being able to design this from, from the beginning from scratch. And so being able to do that allows us to do it with intention. And a lot of times that's what just it requires and, may, and having a commitment and setting standards you know, we try to ultimately create a place that doctors can practice medicine to the best of their ability. And everything else, we try to eliminate the sort of cognitive overhead that's required of where do we put this? How do we, you know, run our, our workflow? It does standardize sometimes things that we don't mean to standardize. And so then we have to sort of revert back or sometimes we think we've standardized something and it turns out people don't actually know what they're supposed to do. And so we're not perfect by any means. And we're constantly iterating and evolving you know, we only opened our first practice a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. We now have six. We're still really early. And so I think we're constantly iterating and evolving everything from the physical layout to our workflow, to our software. We build all of our own software. But I mean, in the back, I mean, it's really about our, our does everybody know where they're supposed to be? Does everybody know where things are supposed to go? And we're constantly looking for ways to streamline that because every time you don't know where something goes, you're just going to put it down somewhere or you're going to have to think about where it goes. And that just has nothing to do with doing, you know, practicing better medicine. And so that's kind of how we approach all of these things. And whether it be, you know, I don't know what to click on in the software and I'm trying to figure out where to put a certain piece of information on the medical record, that's an opportunity for us to be more intentional and design that more thoughtfully. It does mean that whatever hack you came up with, we might sort of eliminate. But on the flip side, that's not why you're there. You're not there to figure out hacks, you know, on how to use Cornerstone. And so we hope to eliminate all of that load that is placed on, you know, the veterinary profession, which, you know, there's a very significant load, everything from dealing with the patient uh, to dealing with, you know, your staff to dealing with, you know, clients who are oftentimes frustrated and angry because they don't understand what you're trying to communicate. And the more noise and stress there is in the practice makes that message even harder to communicate. So can I ask, this might be too inside baseball, but I am curious because you mentioned, and I know there's the inclination, if you sort of stand outside and listen to the feedback to try to standardize this stuff to make it easier. And you mentioned, 
well, sometimes you standardize something and you set up a process and you find out, oh, man, for some reason that didn't work. That didn't need to be standardized. There need to be some creativity in there that we got to leave hang. Can you think of an example of something that like we set up a great process, but then it turned out people needed to kind of in the moment figure out how they wanted to do that themselves? There's too many examples. <laughs> anyone, just pick any. I'm curious, just anyone. Um, what would you say from a doctor's perspective, you think, you know, and over the years that we've learned? I think that probably the most poignant example of what you're talking about, Brendan, is our evolution around providing an urgent care service. And I don't know if that rings if that rings true with you too, Steve, but I don't know what you're talking about. We, uh, yeah, you've forgotten all about that. I think that, you know, from the beginning, we drew a pretty hard line in the sand that we did not want to be in a position of squeezing patients in during our day. We honor the schedule. The schedule has a certain number of slots on it. Right. But we acknowledge that there are same day needs and pets need to get in. They need to be seen. So very soon after we opened our first hospital, we, you know, designed an urgent care service and, and we didn't invent urgent care. Right. I'm not trying to say that, but, you know, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Do you just let people walk in? Do you have them come at certain times? Do you have them leave their pet with you and go home and wait for a call? So we've tried a number of approaches and taken a lot of feedback from our team regarding what works and what doesn't work with respect to providing care urgently. I don't know that we've completely landed on the right solution to date, but I think we've had a really thoughtful evolution around what it should be. It's still not perfect. One of the things that I think, if I could just give an example, that's been really helpful for us as we have built out more practices in L.A., you know, we now, because of this, our software platform, right, we have the ability to offer people access to other clinics and the one that they typically would go to. So someone who normally sees a doctor at the West Hollywood practice and feels really bonded to that doctor, but can't see that doctor today because that doctor is fully booked up, is probably going to readily accept an opportunity to drive about 20 minutes further to go to Studio City to see a doctor as an opening there today. And they'll know, right, that the software has the patient's medical record available. They can easily see what other doctors at Modern Animal have been working towards with this patient and then all achieve the same goal of providing an excellent medical quality experience for that pet and its owner. So, you know, I think urgent care is a thing, right? It's a specific service, but it's also looking at availability and finding out the best way to get that pet seen in the time frame that they need to to be seen. And so we've worked on that a lot. I think we're at a, a pretty good place. We can always make it better. Can I ask, sometimes there's a delicate dance in deciding exactly how to brand a hospital in the ethos of modern animal. Does it feel like you want people to bond with particular veterinarians and see that particular veterinarian all the time? Or do you want people to be a little more comfortable with, as you just said, your favorite veterinarian at this one location is too busy to see you today, but another modern animal doctor 20 minutes away can see you. So between doctor and hospital, do you feel like one is your real focus for trying to get clients to think about, associate the practice with the company? Yeah, Brian, that's a great question. And I think something that's ultimately at the core of how we started the company, I think we think a lot about sort of the perception of control that we want to give to the pet owner. And so what that means is the pet owner doesn't necessarily always need to be able to dictate exactly what time their appointment is, what kind of appointment, who they're going to see, et cetera. But giving them the flexibility to know that there are options and that they ultimately can dictate sort of more of their journey is important. And I think right now in the industry, it's anything but that, right? I mean, like I can't even get in for weeks, you know, traditionally right. to a clinic, uh, or at least over the last few years. Um, and I certainly have no control or say over 
anything other than I'm going to this one practice because that's the practice I go to. And then this is the one doctor I go to who I have a relationship with. And so we didn't want to sort of let go of that entirely. We don't actively encourage you to not see the same doctor. Sure. But a lot of times that has been a limitation, right? Whether it mean that the doctor that you have a relationship with, you know, they may work three or four days a week. You have a pet seven days a week. You know, what happens on those days off, right? Are you going to the ER unnecessarily? Are you hesitant to even come in in the first place, which is not in the best interest of your pet? Or what we've seen with a lot of veterinarians, right? Once they have a, a client base that they, you know, have developed over years is they end up giving them their phone number, right? And so then they're calling after hours, right. they're calling at night, um, or the pet owner is having to deliberate, do I actually text this, you know, this doctor who I think is going to be okay with me texting. And that doctor is obviously there. They want to help, but it really erodes quality of life for veterinarians. And so we've tried to build a model that allows for all of these things to be true, where you can go see your same doctor. You also have the option to interact with us through virtual care 24 hours a day. You know, you're going to get someone who is a registered nurse, you know, somewhere in the country, they have full access to your medical record because we built all of our own software. So it's not, you know, most telemedicine services that we've seen pop up that they don't actually have a relationship with that patient. And so, they can, you know, we, we don't have VCPR established usually in those cases, we can't diagnose or prescribe or even just be informed at least by the, the medical record and past history. In our case, our team has full access and visibility into whether that was an appointment you had an hour ago or whether it was something that happened you know, a year ago, six months ago, whatever it is. So the idea there is that if you have an urgent issue, you can get care and access to us urgently. And your doctor that you prefer may or may not be on that day. And for some people, that's most important, whether it be in that moment or in general, they may just not care. For them, it might be the most important that I only have a certain time slot available and that's the only time I can go. And I'm happy to drive a little bit further. And so now you have more options. You have multiple practices within a certain driving radius of your home. You have you know, a range of doctors who are available. You have staff who's available to support virtually as well. And so we're just trying to give people that control to make their own choice and sort of pursue whatever path they want, either because of preference or because of urgent need. Yeah. And I would just add from a doctor's perspective, like, look, let's just raise our hand and take responsibility that we kind of created this, this system. And I understand why, you know, most... Veterinary practices 30, 40 years ago were, you know, single proprietorship businesses, right? And so you had to be there for people. You had to be all things to all people. You had to basically create availability. And that meant, you know, you answering the call in the middle of the night or staying late doing that or whatever. I think then, you know, the evolution of the the way veterinarians were paid and are still traditionally paid, right? I think 55% of veterinarians are still paid based on their production, also creates for us a desire to wrap your arm around and say, these are my clients right here, right? And so if I'm not calling them back on my day off, for example, or staying late to see them when they need to be seen, then they're going to get potentially bonded to another practitioner. This is not true of all veterinarians, right? But I'm just saying that the system creates the propensity for this, I think, And so now I have no boundaries because this is in my financial interest to perpetuate this. And so by not paying doctors based on their production, by paying them a good salary, you know, they don't have that incentive. They still care, right? And they're still invested. And I think what we find when we look at our client reviews is that, you know, kind of to go back to your initial question, right? People talk about the practice. I love Modern Animal West Hollywood. I love going to Modern Animal Pasadena. The team is so friendly. The team is so helpful. They'll often call out a specific doctor who they love, but often they won't. And I think, 
you know, that's typically the case. They feel comfortable not only going to a practice and seeing, you know, pretty much any doctor that's available, but also, like I mentioned earlier, you know, going to another practice because they know that's part of creating the experience, right? That's perpetuated to the different clinics. Right. I also might add a little bit about sort of like what we're seeing in the industry broadly. You know, we've been going through this rapid phase of consolidation over the last decade or two. And there was this really interesting history to the veterinary industry over the last really 30 years with, you know, what happened with ECA being kind of the first consolidator and being branded. And then we saw NVA come up and being kind of the opposite and saying, well, we're not going to brand them. We're going to do the same strategy, essentially, but we're not going to brand the hospitals because there's a lot of negative aspects to being branded. Then we saw Banfield kind of get created. And this was all really over a very short period of time. If you think about the history of the industry, it was really over kind of the span of a few years, kind of the late 80s to the early 90s when all three of those groups started. And so you had sort of a consolidator with a brand, you had an unbranded consolidator, and then you had a de novo brand. And I think for us, when we were getting started, we looked at what, what had happened over you know kind of 20 years after that. And you know, brand had become a bad word, but only because consolidation was sort of unbranded. And I think we all know now that there kind of there's a major downside to consolidation. And the question for us was, what are we going to do? Are we going to build from scratch? And if so, are we going to brand these things? Are we going to give every hospital kind of their own identity? And is that is that better? I think for us, what we realized was, especially for a younger pet owner and a younger audience that's coming into sort of ownership, you know, pet ownership now. People trust brands. And I think if we want to liberate sort of the veterinarian from being on call all the time, we need to empower the individual doctor to practice their best medicine and build relationships. But we also need to allow them to actually have work-life balance and quality of life. And we're going to do that by building a trusted brand and building a brand that actually stands for not just, you know, corporate medicine. That's not what we're trying to practice, but really to build a more flexible model and one that can serve people in different ways the way we've been talking about. And so for us, we do want people to trust the brand and to have really high standards and to have consistent standards. So we think about, you know, consistency of medical quality, the consistency of experience, but not the standardization of it in a way that I think actually corporate medicine and sort of the consolidation has driven, which is, you know, almost like lowest common denominator. How do we keep overhead as low as possible? How do we drive as much profitability as possible? You know, one thing that for us is really important is we made sort of a decision to commit to certain things that we sort of have to keep in balance. We can't, just focus on medical quality at the expense of building a business that's sustainable. We can't just focus on profitability at the expense of our employees' experience. We can't do all those things and then obviously not focus on what we call members. All of our customers are members. All of our clients are members, our member experience. And so we have this thing called the four commitments, and we have all these four things kept in balance. And those four things are medical quality, employee engagement, member experience, and profitable growth. And so we're always keeping ourselves kind of, a, it's a check and balance system to make sure that not one of those is taking precedent and not one of those is sort of falling behind. And that's how we make sure that, you know, the choices we've made about being branded or having an open hospital concept or having membership, all of these things have pros and cons, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're just trying to deliver the highest quality medicine, the best experience possible for our clients, a great place to work, you know, the best place for people to practice medicine and work and ultimately build a business that can stand the test of time and be a, a durable long-term business. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program 
where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. I like that you mentioned checks and balances. I think that's interesting. Those four core principles you talked about are in absolute tension. I mean, you can always argue it away and say, no, 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 they're all in service of one thing, but they're in tension. Like, you know, between sales and development in a software company, these are in tension. They may be serving a common goal. I'm wondering with those four core principles, how you deal with what happens a lot of times at hospitals where a manager becomes responsible for the business, the doctors and the veterinary technicians become responsible for the medicine, and the client representatives up at the front or on the phone are responsible for the experience of the pet owners, and people become very fractured. So I know there's always this dream that like if we all share the same principles, we'll all be on the same train. But sometimes it's healthy, just like you said, checks and balances means some people are arguing for something in tension with another person arguing. How do you keep front and back and the business issues from sort of causing internal interrelationship struggles in a modern animal hospital? So I think one, you know, kind of out of the gate, and I joined Steve about six months after he started the company. So we've both worn every hat at Modern Animal and done everything. But, yeah, um, I've never worn your hat. No, I've, I've, <laughs> sure, you've never been a doctor. Okay. I would not allow it. Um, we've talked from the beginning about medicine being church and operations being state, right? And the need to, while they need to exist separately, there you cannot deny that they have to work in harmony, right? Or you don't, all the four things that Steve just mentioned, you can't possibly achieve. So we have actually taken a page from the human medical side with a concept of management called dyads in healthcare, and so that is acknowledging, you know, look, we have a strong medical leader, we have a strong operational leader in each practice, and they work together as a dyad. And we take that up to our area leadership as well. And even, you know, to my level also to have that partnership with our operations team, right? And so the idea is not that my operational partner is helping me decide which injectable antibiotics we want to carry, right? That wouldn't make sense. But the point is that we are working together to run the practice and be responsible for the business. I think the other thing is that, you know, if I'm a lead doctor in my modern animal practice and my clinic manager is out for the day and not working that day, and there's an employee that we need to have a conversation with, right, about how they're showing up, then I need to be able to have that. And I can't like live in my little silo over here that says... <laughs> I'm doing my medical record reviews, guys. I, I can't right. really be, be bothered with this uh, you know, nurse that shows up late every day, right? They got to be able to have that conversation. Same goes for the doctors, right? If the lead doctor's not there and there's a doctor who we need to have a conversation with and figure out how we can move forward with development with that doctor, then the clinic manager needs to be comfortable having it. Having said that, right? Ultimately, performance of the doctors rolls up to the lead doctor, right? Ultimately, performance of the team rolls up to the clinic manager, but they got to work together. And we spend a lot of energy making sure that that is a really solid relationship and that those teams are supported and guided about what that kind of leadership looks like. This might be my closing question. It doesn't have to be, but I am curious. You've mentioned a number of times 
how integration of the entire thing together was important and how developing your own software. So your thing is going to speak to everything in exactly the same way to every building and every location to headquarters everywhere. That is a huge cost and a huge pain in the rear. And that's why most companies cobble together and certainly practices themselves cobble together a Frankenstein's monster of software to deal with their problems. Integration was probably initially a huge pain. So I don't know, maybe just walk me a little bit. Why did you decide to do that? And then what was it that it's a lot of front loaded work to have to deal with for the vision. So just tell me a little about how software came to be. Yeah, I mean, we started the company day one, we started writing code. So I think it was always sort of from the beginning. Yeah, I think we had hoped that there would be more software in the ecosystem within the veterinary ecosystem that we could leverage. And the reality of it is there just isn't. We've unfortunately been plagued by the reality of how this has all developed over decades, which is we have a few really big companies in the veterinary space. They realize that if we offer software... Uh, as part of our offering, we can create more lock-in, you know, kind of vendor lock-in, whether it be IDEX with Cornerstone, MWI, you know, a- every bigger company in the space that has a big business to be made from selling veterinary hospitals something other than software has got, tried to get into software. What we're seeing now is that we're actually seeing the largest consolidators themselves say, we can't rely on third parties for software either anymore. And so we're now having to do our own thing. And so we've seen a few of the larger consolidators actually start making acquisitions of software platforms. And I mean, you look back at VCA and Banfield as two of kind of the bigger original corporate groups, they themselves have developed their own software with petware and woofware respectively. So it's not really a totally new idea that software is an important part of operating a veterinary hospital or that at some point you might need to own it. And so we just made the decision that from day one, we're going to, we're going to own it ourselves. You're right. It is a huge cost right. and uh, and a pain, but it also allows us to control our own destiny to really build the experience the way we want it. Because so much of the veterinary experience for both the client and the practitioner is determined by the workflow. And the workflow is often, you know, the software helps determine it. It's certainly, you know, when we first built it, and I'd say probably where we are today, debatable whether it's meaningfully better. And it was certainly meaningfully worse when we first launched it than what's out there today. But it's really easy for us to you know, draw the lines out and see how, oh, it's going to be, and hopefully it already is, but it's going to be continuously better and better and you know, ultimately compounding over time to build something that is really allowing us to control the experience and to make it you know, that much easier for a doctor to, to get their medicine done and for the staff to serve the clients in the building. And for clients, most importantly, you know, I think what we started with was the idea that you know, clients today are just completely disconnected from the veterinary practice. And so how do we actually create an experience where primarily around communication, we're facilitating much better communication between both parties. The way that it makes sense over time is that we actually build a big business. And the objective of the business is not to just build a big business for the sake of making a bunch of money or anything like that, but it's to have an impact most importantly on this industry and this profession, the experience that pet owners are able to access. And ultimately the most important stakeholder of all is the patient. You know, ultimately we believe that through software and a more integrated experience, we can actually deliver higher quality medicine and better, you know, deliver better outcomes for our patients. But to make it all make sense, we have to build a big business. We have meaningful cost that we carry as a business that tries to do everything itself. It does make a lot of sense at a certain scale. It certainly does not make sense at you know subscale. And so I think this is something that you know, we've had to educate our team about over time is when you know, we opened our second clinic, you know, there were a bunch of people on the team who said, wow, we have so many things that are broken. 
we got to stop expanding. And, you know, <laughs> as a CEO, I'm thinking, well, if this is where we're going to stop. This isn't going to make a lot of sense. So <laughs> right. we both had to really focus on how do we fix the things that are really causing pain for our team, but also make it clear to everybody, like we're all here to build a business at scale and to have big impact. And I think everybody's totally aligned with that. I mean, we have a really clear mission. Our values are really clear to our team. No one is here to operate a small business. No one's here to build like a, a business that feels like a corporate, you know, big company. So we still very much operate as a startup and we try to be scrappy. We've raised a lot of capital. And so I think we, we've used that to our advantage when necessary, but we still have a lot to prove and a lot to build out over time to deliver on both the promise of impact at scale, as well as to make the investments we're making pay off. And if it isn't, again, if it's not too much inside baseball, I am curious if you've talked about, I don't think it sounds like Modern Animal is an acquirer, so you don't want to go into a pre-existing building. You want to be able to build your whole thing from left to right, back to front. We want it to look a certain way. So going and buying another building that's already been sitting there for a while in an old practice. So what is the vision, sort of the short-term vision moving forward for, is it just adding new places in cities? Is it, what's the expansion plan sound like? Let me answer kind of both parts of that. So I mean, first, yes, we absolutely said so we have to build it from scratch, you know, take, you know, new building, new space. The reality of most veterinary practices that are out there is that they've been around for a long time. And, you know, I think when we thought through, could we ever acquire an existing practice? Reality is a lot of that client base probably wouldn't want what we offer in terms of we're mobile only. You have to download our app. You have to be a member. That's not for everybody. And for staff, you know, I think, if we were to acquire a practice, not everybody would be the right fit for Modern Animal. We take our culture really seriously. We think it's a really positive culture, but it's still not necessarily for everybody. And the way we practice medicine may not be for everybody. And so your compensation model may not be for everybody. So there are things that it just felt like, man, this can be a lot of work to buy something. Yeah. <laughs> Even if the economics of it may, maybe made sense. There's also an argument that the economics don't really make sense of acquisitions. They made sense in a zero interest rate environment. I think we're going to see consolidation go through a very different phase now where consolidators will be consolidating themselves. There'll be a lot fewer acquisitions. The multiples that people were paying for practices simply did not make sense. There just happened to be you know, lenders debt that was available right. when you would buy an existing business. The reality is we're actually building practices and getting them to scale at much lower cost than what consolidators were paying to buy clinics. Now, I say that knowing that also there's a lot of consolidators now who are saying, oh, well, if consolidation doesn't make sense anymore, maybe we should you know, build de novo practices. So there's a lot of interest right now in the industry about de novo practices. I think the thing that people don't realize is it is actually not just because there's a lot of demand for veterinary practices or services in the industry. It doesn't mean that you can stand up a practice and be full day one. And so, you know, I've talked to various groups who've asked me about you know, how we go about building practices. And this is where to your very first question about kind of the marketing side of it. While we don't do a whole ton of marketing out there, we do think we're quite good at kind of the brand side of things and having awareness. So when we open our second, our third, our fifth, our 10th, you know, our 20th, one day, our 100th practice, we hope to, to leverage what we've been able to leverage to date, which is a decent amount of awareness. So when we opened in LA, our first one, no one knew who we were, but we got fortunate that at that time in April of 2020, there was a, a heck of a lot of need for veterinary services. Okay, right. But we also think that we did a good job to cultivate a lot of awareness through referral from existing members. And this is where the benefit of sort of being a branded player really helps. When people talk about modern animal to their friends, they may not live anywhere close to where our first practice was. And 
quite frankly, we had hundreds, not, we had thousands of people on wait lists for various parts of LA and even up in the Bay Area when we opened up there for the first time of people who wanted to go to Modern Animal when we opened. And so that allows us to ramp up much faster. And this is where if you're a consolidator, you're trying to build Innovo practices and you really have never been a brand, you don't know how to be a brand, how to talk to pet owners, it's a lot tougher than you would think. So for us, being really good at opening a practice and having people know about us is important. I'd say it's also hard to hire doctors in that environment too, yeah. right? And create an employer brand that resonates with in a very scarce market of, of labor, both on the you know doctor side as well as the nurse side. You have to stand for something, I think, and really be able to articulate that to people. All of this, by the way, is hard. And so I think that <laughs> this is all a lot harder than this is all you know, veterinary medicine itself is really hard. Doing what we're doing it the way we're doing it, we're we're playing the game the hard way. And I think that we're just in it for the long run. You know, I think that I sold my first business you know, pretty early. I have no interest in doing that again this time. And you know, I think we're really trying to go for the long-term vision and the long-term impact. And so we're willing to play the game the hard way. It gets easier as we get smarter, but I think, you know, it's not for the, for the faint hearted. That's for sure. I think a thing that's only come to fruition in the past couple of years is independent practitioners, sudden awareness that, as you said, they need to brand themselves, not just to clients, but now they have to brand themselves to future employees. They need to know something about us other than word of mouth is fantastic and gets people to work at your place. If somebody's looking in a particular geographic area, they will go work at your hospital because you're there. But beyond that, as you said, people want to know they're working for a good place. They want to know they're working for a place that clearly all the values disseminate from bottom to top and top to bottom. And so that's where the help of actually building and sustaining, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk on your brand is so helpful, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you had asked about our expansion plans, but we've announced we're expanding into Texas in a few months. We're in Southern California and in in the Bay Area right now. As I mentioned, we raised meaningful capital and the goal of that capital is to both build the platform and the system and to make it as good as possible and it's, it's not all the way there yet. It never will be. So it'll always be improving. We'll always be investing in that. But we also plan to expand you know, more rapidly than we have into more markets and more deeply into the markets that we're in. So we'll have about a dozen clinics in LA or the Southern California area. By the end of this year, we have about five right now. And we'll have about half a dozen in the Bay Area. And then we're expanding into Texas. So we do like to go more deeply into the markets that we serve. We think that there's a lot of benefits for us around some of the awareness we were just talking about across the client base, awareness as an employer across the veterinary profession and the veterinary community. We think there's a lot of benefits to building community in the first place. So, you know, we've, we've had, you know, whether it be our holiday party or other events that we've done where we have, you know, we've had a couple hundred almost employees come to a single place that doesn't exist in the veterinary industry, right? That kind of community and that, that sense of, you know, I don't just work in the four walls of my own practice, but I actually work across this network of locations. And I have friends who work in other practices and I, I can learn best practices from others, whether it be, you know, we've done trainings around procedures and we bring employees from different practices to one clinic to learn. There's a lot of interesting side effects, so to speak, or, or sort of follow-on effects from us building a real community in a dense area that stretches across members, stretches across you know, our employees, and it also benefits the patient. So if in that time of need, our, you know, the practice you typically go to is not open for urgent care, it doesn't mean that we aren't ur- offering urgent care. We're offering urgent care maybe 15, 30 minutes away somewhere else. So you'll see us expand in that way, uh, both within a market, but also across markets. I do see the benefit in um, the dream of every veterinary 
chain is that people would be sharing best practices and working together. But the problem is if they're geographically separated, the reality, as we're experiencing with remote work, you can make some connections with people that you never sit with and work with and eat with, but there's some connections you can't make. So you're right. Having clusters close together, you could really build real flesh and blood community in a way that nationally is a little tougher to stretch. Yeah. There's a stigma around corporate veterinary medicine, right? And that oh, idea yeah. that, oh, you're a corporation and people ask, oh, are, are you guys corporate? Well, yeah, well, yeah, you know, we are, we are a corporation, but, you know, we don't ever want our, our teams to be doing, carrying out their jobs and feeling like there's sort of an invisible hand that's making the decision and calling the shots and making, making calls that impact their lives and the way they do their jobs. You know, we want them to feel invested. We want them to have skin in the game. I mean, Steve, has talked a lot about our software. You know, we have a council, you know, around the company of the actual people who use it. I mean, that's groundbreaking, right? Who come together every week and talk about, you know, where it needs to get better. And the product team sits with them and, and talks about, you know, we're thinking you guys need this. Do you guys need this? Do you want it to work this way? That creates a community of itself. It helps people feel like they are invested in that They are a part of our success. And that turns out to be incredibly powerful, I mean, Steve just referred to our holiday party. It was mind blowing, you know, from coming from the days of six of us sitting in a room to being in a room with 200 people who like genuinely, I think, really loved being there. And I don't know, there are probably other veterinary corporations that have similar, you know, employee bases, but I've never worked for one that did. So if you want to read up on Modern Animal, you guessed it, you can go to modernanimal.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave a review wherever you listen to it. Tell your friends and vet med about it. And remember, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to solving your leadership headaches in our VetX Leaders community. Learn more at drdavenickel.com. And until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you.